So I wonder, did you notice this week, um, as you drove to church, did you notice anything different about the, the roads or the sidewalks and the fact that there were probably more people out for a run? Did you notice that? Probably more people walking the dog. Probably more people, uh, if you are the, the type that goes to the gym, probably more people on the treadmill. Probably a little more people um, dieting. And why is that? It's because it's a new year. And this time of year, that's what people do. We often spend some time in reflection and evaluation of our previous year. And then we begin to think about what's happening uh, this year. And we start to uh, think, well, what can I do differently? Are there any changes I can make in my life? Are there any uh, resolutions, Mark mentioned in his prayer? Any New Year's resolutions I can add to my life to do something new or different to change? And, and that's not a bad thing. I wonder if you have a resolution. Any of you? Uh, think about a New Year's goal or some new plan or some new diet or something you hope to accomplish this year. We're all kind of thinking about it this year. It's not a bad thing, but I do think that as Christians, we have to approach this differently. We don't just approach it maybe like anyone else would. As Christians, we understand that there's a, a, a word from God related to how change happens and how growth happens. We don't just get to make it up and imagine that we can just do this stuff on our own. The Bible talks a lot about growth and maturation and change and transformation. And so if we're thinking about goal setting and changes we're going to make into our lives for this new year, we need to approach that biblically or else we might find ourselves drifting to a place that's actually not helpful and not biblical and farther from depending on Christ as we ought. And so I want you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 15. We're going to spend the next couple weeks thinking about a crucial part of your spiritual life. That as you think about growth and change and transformation, as you think about hopes that you have to grow, longings that you might have to be transformed uh, ways in your own heart you'd like to mature. As we think about a lot of those things, I want to center our minds on the Word of God and what He has to say about how those things actually happen. And I want us to then use these truths that we're going to find in Scripture to kind of be like a, 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 some railroad tracks to, to, that we can set our lives on and start heading in the direction that God sends us rather than just imagining that we're wise enough in our own eyes to just make these plans and we have the strength in and of ourselves to just do this, let's go to Scripture. And we're going to go to a Scripture in John 15, hopefully you're there, that centers on a critical aspect of life with Christ. Where Jesus teaches His disciples some critical, foundational truths that shape the way we think about life. We're going to read it, verses 1 to 7. And from those verses, I'm going to give three statements that I would like to shape this year for Grace Rancho. We're going to look at what Jesus says. I'm going to try to encapsulate some of these basic truths in three big statements and these three statements, I want you to take with you and allow these statements to shape how you think about the next year of your life. So I really do like taking the new year to kind of think ahead and plan and even dream a little bit. And so we're going to do a little bit of that this morning. As we launch into this new year, let's make sure we're doing it with Jesus' words ringing in our ears, these truths as our foundation, so that we can do so in a way that really brings glory to God and not as something that we're just trying to do in our own strength, in our own effort. So let's read John chapter 15, 1 to 7. It reads like this. Jesus says, I am the true vine. And my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me. 
and I in you. As the, van, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. There are some weighty truths in this text, isn't there? There are some amazing statements that Jesus makes in these verses, and he is trying to shape his disciples' view of themselves and really how they ought to live their lives. And I'm going to start with this statement that I want us to draw from here and I want us to then apply to our lives. I want this statement to kind of ring in your ears. I want this statement to be plastered in your mind. I want you to maybe put it somewhere where you could see it. Not just this one, but all three that we can remember all throughout this year. Here's the first statement. We're going to get straight from Jesus' words. Here it is. You can do nothing. How's that for a happy new year? You came here this morning to be encouraged, and here is the preacher echoing Jesus' words. You can do nothing. Did you see it in there? Twice he brings it up. Abide in me, verse 4, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. You see that? A branch cannot bear fruit by itself. You ever had a fruit tree in your backyard growing apples or oranges or something, and you saw a branch fall? We're accustomed to branches falling this time of year. If you saw our tree out there, a big branch fell right off that tree, smashed our sign, and we had helpers out in no time fixing it up, cleaning it up. And that's not a fruit tree. But if that were a fruit tree, and that branch had fallen off the tree, and it had all these apples that were there, or maybe oranges that were there, it wouldn't be long before those fruit fell off and died. And guess what about that branch? Would it ever bear fruit again? It wouldn't. Why? Because it got detached from the source of life. Jesus is bringing up an analogy here that he wants to make crystal clear about how we ought to think of ourselves in life. He says, I want you to think of yourself like this. Here's a metaphor. Here's an image you can put. I'm like a vine. You're like branches. And just as a vine gives life to the branch, so I give life to you. You are dependent upon me. You cannot bear fruit. You cannot grow. You cannot be transformed. We're incapable of doing any of that if we are detached from the life-giving, vital vine. That is Christ. Jesus, it's as if he's saying, using this graphic metaphor, he's saying, I'm the source of all life. I'm the source of all change. I'm the source of all growth. I'm the source of transformation. I'm the source of any fruit. All of that comes from me. I'm the vine. You're just a branch. You're dependent. You're contingent. Any good thing that would come out of your life, any growth that would happen in your life, any transformation that you want to see in your life is impossible unless you're abiding in me because I'm the one who does all this. Spiritual life has a source and it's not you. It doesn't come from within. There are a lot of books being published these days that are published under the banner of Christian living or Christian growth. And you read them and it's just, it's just self-help. It's pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and throw in a little God like salt and pepper. You're just trying to sprinkle a little God on those pages, but the whole bulk of the message is all self-help. Uh, self-help is everywhere. Everyone's trying to find new ways to help themselves. You can do it. You can adopt these techniques and these strategies. You can change yourself. You can create these habits. You can change uh, your, yourself and your world if you just own it. And Jesus is here against all the current of the world that's taken people that direction. And he says, listen, you, you can't do it. Any, you can't do any of it. You can bear no fruit. You can change not at all apart from 
me. You, you go into 2020, here's a thing I want you to be thinking about. You can grow spiritually this year, but you can't cause that growth. You can bear much fruit this year, but you can't produce that growth, that fruit. Jesus is the vine and you're a branch. Jesus has the life. Jesus has the strength. Jesus has the power. Jesus is the source and you are not. He says it in verse 4. He says it again at the end. You see that in verse 5? Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't do anything to grow yourself this year or any year. It's Jesus who does that. What kind of New Year's plans did you make? What kind of goals did you have? Did you, did you make some resolutions? These are all fine and good, but we have to come back to this truth. No work or effort that you put toward your goals in 2020 in your own strength will grow you one inch toward Christ-likeness. At all. I mean, this is very clear what Jesus is teaching. He's, he's trying to make it black and white. You can do nothing, he says. So, so what do you want? You want to grow this year? Any of you, you want to grow this year in Christ? I think those of you who are following Christ, you've given your life to Him. You're committed. You want to grow. You genuinely have ways that you're thinking you'd like to see uh, maturation show itself in your life. You'd like to see transformation in certain areas in your life. You want to have illumined mind to understand God's Word better. You want to have an open and softened heart to be ready to do whatever God has for you. You want the joy of the Lord. You want the peace that passes all understanding. And listen, none of that can be mustered up by your own inherent strength. None of it can. You can't change yourself this year, guys. You can do nothing. You know, you also probably have changes you'd like to see happen in other people. I'm sure some of you have a person that's close to you that you love that you'd like to see saved. Maybe it's a parent that doesn't know the Lord yet. <clears throat> Maybe it's a child in your own home, a coworker, a friend, a neighbor. Ephesians 2.8 says salvation is a gift from God. You can't even bring them to salvation. You say, well, maybe I, I can't save them, but I want to help them. Maybe they're already saved. I want, to, I want to help some other people grow in their faith. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12 says, faith is a gift from God. Not something you can conjure up. You say, well, I want to grow in wisdom, and I want to help people around me. I want my, my kids to have wisdom. I want them to be wise in James 3.17. Wisdom is from God. You get what I'm saying? All the good fruit you want to see. All the good fruit you, fruit you want to see in your own life, all the good fruit you want to see in the lives of people around you, all the people you want to see saved, all the people you want to see growing, all the fruit that you'd like to be growing in this church, listen, is outside of your grasp. You cannot cause it. You cannot produce it. You can do nothing. These things are God's and God's alone to give. And so if you want your parents saved or your coworkers saved or your kids to grow, your siblings to come to faith, you want that kind of thing to happen, you have to start with this. With man, it is impossible. And you cannot do any of it. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. I want to even let this sink in a little more. We can do nothing, and yet how active are we all the time doing something, right? We're always doing something. We're always we're, we're, we're busy, busy with life. Could you imagine if you come to the end of 2020 or maybe the end of your life, and you've been busy. I mean, you've been busy with a lot of stuff, maybe even good stuff, maybe even religious stuff. You're, you're just, you're worn out. You're so busy. You've been doing so much stuff. Imagine coming before Jesus and Him evaluating all the things you have done and He says, yes, you did a lot and you were busy and it was a lot of nothing. How many of us are busy with things that are actually accomplishing nothing of any spiritual value? 
This is what Jesus is saying. It is possible in a life to be active, to be busy, to be even doing a lot of ministry type activity. And yet in the midst of it, we are doing it in our own strength as self-reliant people. And so Jesus' analysis of all the busyness, it's, it's nothing. It's actually nothing because you can't do anything. And as long as you're trying to do it in your own strength, it's actually accomplishing nothing. John Piper, reflecting on this reality, he, he says, oh, how we need to wake up to how much nothing we spend our time doing. Apart from prayer, all our scurrying about, all our talking, all our study amounts to nothing. I wonder about you. This has been something I've wondered about myself as I've had to prepare. Is how much is my life busy and full with things that are nothing? Accomplishing nothing. Because I'm just doing them in my own strength. Is, is our ministry a nothing ministry? Because we're just doing it in human strength. Is our service a nothing service? Is all you're doing just a nothing doing? Has your lack of reliance upon Jesus Christ, the true vine, the one who gives life, turned your parenting into nothing parenting? Your discipleship of others into a nothing discipleship? Where you're busy meeting people, talking to them, but you're so cut off from Jesus, far from Him, that even though you're doing religious things, it's all nothing because you're trying to do it all in your own strength. Is your evangelism a nothing evangelism? Your discipleship a nothing discipleship? Your service a nothing service? Friends, break the legs of your self-reliance and fall to your knees we can do nothing this year of any eternal value. We can be busy. We can convince ourselves we're doing something. But we can also be busy doing something that in the end is nothing. And so we need to come back to this and recognize we can do nothing. And that we are empty apart from Jesus Christ. Now, you might be feeling hopeless. I didn't come here to be told this morning that I'm a nobody doing nothing and nothing I do matters. And so, uh, if that's all you're going to hear, you're actually not going to hear the whole point of what Jesus is saying because let's move into our next statement. Our next statement, after our first statement, our first statement is you can do nothing. I think we got that. You got that? We can't do anything to change ourselves, to change people. We can do nothing as a church to impact our community, to change lives. Nothing. Statement number two, though, take with you, write down, remember, Jesus can do anything. Jesus can do anything. Listen to this, verse five, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Listen to this, whoever abides in me. He's calling people back to himself. He's calling people to himself, the source of strength, the source of power, the source of transformation, the source of growth. The source of fruit bearing, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. You can do something, but it's not you, it's Christ in you. Jesus can do anything through you. And I love this. Take a look at this, this verse in the first word of it. You see it? Whoever. You see that word? Anyone. Whoever abides in me, whoever abides in Jesus, whoever remains near him, communes with him, walks with him, depends upon him, day in, day out, trusting him to be their strength, whoever, that's the person who bears much fruit. So, so the secret's out. You want to be a person who bears much fruit? If you're a Christian, you're saying, yes, that's me. I, I want to bear much fruit. God is too glorious for me to live a life where I just don't do anything for Him. I don't bear any fruit for Him. I want to serve Him. I want Him to be known. I want to bear fruit in that way. And that's you. And Jesus tells you the secret. There is no secret. He's, he's teaching. Here's the secret. Abide in me. Anyone. Whoever. Whoever. 
I, 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 I hope that word brings, brings hope to you. The, the whoever aspect of what he's saying. This has no reference to how gifted you are. This has no reference to how educated you are. This has no reference to how big a platform you have. This has no reference to what kind of experiences you had, how popular you are. This evens the playing field. This is not reserved for professionals. Whoever abides in Christ, that is an invitation to the weakest, the most lowly, the most humble and humbled person in this room, an invitation for you to bear much fruit for God's glory. You might have been thinking, oh, the people who bear much fruit, those are the people who just got these gifts. They just got these extraordinary gifts, and there's a sense where that's true, and God can give gifts. However, right here, the text is saying that if you want to bear much fruit, it's right there on the page. Whoever abides in him, that's the people who are bearing much fruit. And if you're abiding in Christ, you can bear much fruit, not because you have any power to do it, because you don't, you can do nothing. You're just a branch on the vine. But abiding in Christ will enable Christ to work through you so you can be the source of much good and bringing much glory to God in your life and in this year. Our second statement, Jesus can do anything. He can work through. He does work through. He bears much fruit to the people who abide in Him. Okay, so you got to be asking, what does it mean to abide? That word could be translated to remain to remain near, to dwell. A form of the word is used in Acts chapter 11 when when Barnabas is, is encouraging a church. In chapter 11, verse 23, he tells the church to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. And that word remain is a form of the word abide. It's the idea of sticking to it, staying near, not leaving Here's an image. It's as if you are knocking on the door and waiting for it to open. To abide would be to keep knocking until that door opens. A person who does not abide would be to walk away after a few knocks. We, we don't give up abiding. We remain abiding. We dwell in Christ as it were. To use the analogy of branches on the vine, it, to abide means we live each moment in dependence upon the life and vitality and strength that Jesus can bring us. It's it's recognizing to biblically abide is to recognize I can't do anything, but Christ can do anything. And I am going to bank my life on Him. And so I will live moment by moment in humble dependence upon Him, His life, His words, His strength, His power, I will live moment by moment in dependence upon Him. I think even verse 7, if you look at it, helps clarify what it means to abide. Look down at verse 7. He says, if you abide in Me, and My words. See that? My words. Jesus' words. If His words, then abide in you. And then He says, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And so, in his discussion of abiding, he also brings up allowing the words that he has spoken to be filling us and remaining in us and dwelling in us so that we are shaped by his truth. So to abide, yes, is to be remaining near to Christ. And the way or one of the ways we're doing that is by taking in the Scriptures, studying them, absorbing them, meditating on them and allowing them to shape the way we think and feel and act. We're abiding in His words. His words are abiding in us. And then He goes on to say, ask whatever you wish in verse 7. And so there's a part of abiding that has to do with prayer. Where we're bringing to Him all the things that we need. We're seeking Him for all our needs and all our godly desires. We're looking to Christ And so abiding means to remain moment by moment 
in humble dependence upon Jesus' words. We treasure them. We eat them up like they're good food, like they're sweet. We devour the words. We live by them. They shape us. They are like nutrients that we feed upon. And then as we live the life God has called us, we continually depend on the Lord by prayer. You see that in verse 7. We ask Him for that which we need and that which we long for as His people. Do you abide in Christ? Do you abide in Christ? Do you live in daily communion with Jesus Christ? Actively treasuring His words and then living in humble dependence upon Him as demonstrated in the way you pray. There will be no fruit in 2020 if we don't know how to abide in Christ. We will see no transformation in our own hearts if we don't abide in Christ. We will see no maturing in our lives if we don't abide in Christ. Why? Because we are like branches broken off from the tree. We don't bear fruit if we don't abide in Christ. It is Christ who produces fruit. We abide in Him and He does that through us. How are you doing? Maybe you could do a little evaluation and you look at 2019 and you could ask yourself, how was I at abiding in Christ this year? How was my time in the Word and my devotion to Him and in my study of Scripture, my meditation on the great truths revealed there? You could ask yourself, how was my prayer life? How did I pray? How regularly was I bringing all my needs to God? Ask yourself those questions. I think if we're honest, we have to admit that there are powerful enemies against us and against our abiding in Christ. Would you recognize that? Powerful enemies against our attention. That we have enemies that would like to remove our attention from that which matters and focus our things on trivialities. We have enemies at every turn, don't we? You have an enemy in your pocket probably. A smartphone that is, I've heard it called, a weapon of mass distraction. We have computers, we have TVs that could be additional enemies. And we all agree that those things are not sinful. It is not sinful to have a phone or use a phone. None of that is sinful. But I think we would probably also agree that often these things don't help our abiding in Christ. They tend to make life busier and more interrupted and hence we are more distracted. So one of, the, one of the sad things about this text, the invitation to bear much fruit is broad. Whoever abides in me, you could bear much fruit this year because it's right there, an invitation. Whoever abides in Christ can bear much fruit. Here's the sad reality is that probably many Christians will not bear much fruit this year because they will trade it in for Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or Netflix or Pinterest. And so they'll spend much more time diverting their attention to trivialities that don't actually matter. Sadly, that's often what's happened. I think we are the most distracted generation to have ever walked the planet. It's no wonder why the church in America is often so weak. Because we Learning to abide in Christ is kind of like learning to speak a dead language. It's like, who does this anymore? Who even knows how to do this nowadays? And yet, as Christians, we, we swim against the tide. We go against the current. We, we don't just fall in line with what everyone does and the habits that everyone else has. If you're abiding more in Shows and social networks. I mean, if you were to take an imaginary paper and just draw a line down the middle and put on one side uh, um, how much time you spend amusing yourself, abiding in online entertainment or TV or, or things like that that just, just entertain with no edification, and you were to tally up the hours in a day or in a week, and on the other side, you tally up how 
long or how often you're spending time abiding in prayer, in devotion to the Word of God. If you were to just mark that, I wonder how many of us would be shocked at the imbalance. I say this because I need to learn these lessons as well. And I want to exhort us as a church family that we ought to be stirred up to pursue Christ and to abide in Him and to be ruthless when it comes to eliminating distractions, to be vigilant in identifying them. In fact, I think one of the most fruitful things you might do when you get home is to sit around with people you know, love, and trust. Maybe it's your family, maybe you get with friends too, maybe you call someone this week and say, I need to make some changes, I need your help. Call, call, call me tonight and I'm going to give you an update on what I'm planning to do to change some things. And I'm going to do this not because I think I can change myself, but I need to get to Christ and I need Him to change me. And so I'm going to eliminate the distractions that are keeping me from Jesus. We have to abide in Christ this year. Well, we do nothing. And so abiding isn't, isn't just another thing that you need to add to your already full schedule. You're, you're, you might be thinking, man, I'm already so busy. How, how can I abide? I've got to fit that between baseball practice and my TV show that comes on at 6.30. How am I going to abide? And I think the way we need to think of abiding is this, is that abiding in Christ, in His Word, letting them fill us, and in prayer, acting out our reliance upon Him, abiding isn't just something to add to your already full list of things to do. It's the only way to transform and redeem your to-do list. In other words, I'm not saying that Christians should only and always be reading their Bibles for 24 hours a day. You wake up, you, you quit your job, and you start reading from the morning to the sunset. Like That's not the way that the Christian is meant to live. But... We are meant to, all throughout the day, be abiding in Him, living in reliance upon Him. And so we need to figure out how to redeem all the activities of our lives by making sure we're doing them with a spirit of abiding trust and reliance upon Jesus. You need to abide in Christ to redeem all the other things you're doing and make them worth doing. Otherwise, they become a whole bunch of busy nothing. So we abide in Christ. I want you to note real quick that, that this, is, this is so important that Jesus says in verse 6, look at this, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. You see that? I mean, the image is graphic. It's a branch that has fallen off the vine and it just sits there. The, the green leaves turn brown. The once growing fruit withers up, shrivels and dies. But more than that, it's not only that it's not going to produce fruit. Look at this. The branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. I mean, this is a graphic image that Jesus intends to put before his disciples. And he's saying this. Listen, he's saying that those people who don't abide in Christ, those people who don't bear any fruit for Jesus in their lives, it's not that they've lost their salvation. Listen, they never had it. They were not ever attached to the true vine. They maybe looked like it for a season, but they didn't have Christ. That's why they weren't bearing any fruit. The people who have Christ and abide in Him are those who bear fruit. So this is huge. Are you abiding in Christ? What does it say about the state of your soul? The good news is that if you look at this text and you go, man, I, I don't really ever abide in Christ. I've not abided in it. I don't read the Word of God. I don't study it to obey it. I don't rely. I basically go about my day in, in my own strength, depending on my own internal resources. If that's you, well, Jesus comes to tell you, hey, all that you've been doing is a nothing. But He's also saying, but hey, there's an invitation. Whoever comes to Me, whoever comes and remains and abides and lives and dwells in Me, there's a free open invitation to share the life of Christ. And so the greatest sinner can come to Jesus, plant themselves right there in the true vine, and Jesus draws them in and grafts them in, and the life of Christ is shared with that person. The Bible teaches that Jesus 
came for sinners, lived for sinners, died on a cross for sinners, rose from the dead for sinners, ascended into heaven, and now is drawing His children to Himself. Any sinner might come to Jesus Christ, and Jesus will not turn them away. And then you can remain in Him and dwell in Him. And the promise here is that those who remain and dwell in Christ will bear much fruit. So if you're not yet a Christian, I'm so glad you're here. I'm thankful you're welcome to come back again. And I would invite you to trust in Christ this morning, to repent of your sin or your self-righteousness or your former way of life, and turn to Christ and find Him to be your life. Here's our third word, our third statement. First, you can't do anything. Second, Jesus can do anything. Here's our third statement. Abide in Christ and ask away. (laughs) Abide in Christ and ask away. I I want us to be encouraged to pray by this statement. Look at verse 7. Look what Jesus says. If you abide in me, just note that if. This is a conditional statement. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Some of you are going, oh, right, that Ferrari I've been dreaming about. Here's the verse. I found it. I can name it and claim it. And let me just point out the conditional statement here. Verse 7 starts with that word, if you abide in me, And, here's another one, my words abide in you. You know what that means is that when we are walking with Jesus, trusting Him, living in reliance upon Him, seeking Him as the source of all spiritual life, recognizing we have nothing in ourselves to do that, and we're allowing His Word to shape our minds and shape our hearts and shape our actions, we're absorbed, we're brimming, overflowing with the truths of God's Word. The words are abiding in us. You know what begins to happen with our desires? That word wish. Ask whatever you wish. It's the same word that could be also translated as desire. You know what begins to happen to our desires when the words of God dwell in us? Is that they begin to be weaned off the world, weaned off selfishness, and then to be transferred to an affection for God, for His glory, for His purposes, for His plans. And so... Whatever you wish, ask whatever you wish. The person who is actually abiding in Christ and allowing the words of Christ to dwell in them, that person wishes for the very things that glorify God. Do you see this? And so they're not sitting here asking for selfish things. Because if you're sitting there asking for selfish things, clearly you're not meeting the conditions of the beginning of the verse. You're still bought into the lie that this world can satisfy you. When in reality it can't. When the Bible weans you off that lie and tells you that only the thing that will satisfy you is God and God alone in a nearness to Him, suddenly that's what you want. And that's what you wish. That's your desire. And that's what you pray for. It comes out in the way you pray. And so as we abide in the Word of God, here it is, we can ask away. We can pray boldly. We can pray because now our hearts are aligned with God's heart and we can begin to ask for those desires to be worked out in our lives and then we can bear much fruit. So this should affect our prayer lives. How is your prayer life? Spotty? Weak, inconsistent, or bold, consistent, faithful. I want three words to describe the way we pray. Bold, specific, and persistent. And I'm getting that from this, this verse. Bold. You see that? Ask whatever you wish. Whatever. You see that word? Ask whatever you wish. 
That, that kind of gives us a boldness. Wait, really, Jesus? Whatever? Like, we, we can ask for anything? Well, the whole universe is his. He's a good father. He doesn't have to answer us on our timetable in our exact way. But here, he's inviting us to ask and to ask for whatever we wish. So I think that's an invitation to pray bold prayers. Are your prayers bold? I think you need to think about 2020 and say, am I praying any big prayers this year? Am I praying any big, audacious, bold prayers? Uh, specific prayers. Our second word. Specific. Look, he Ask whatever you wish. What do you wish? What desire do you have as a Christian for God's glory? Again, we're not talking about the desires of the flesh, right? These desires that we have that are selfish for our own glory to build our own kingdom. We're talking about hallowed be your name type prayers that specific. What kind of specific things can you ask your Lord and Savior for this year? Do you pray specifically enough that you would actually know if your prayer was answered? Some of our prayers are so vague. Lord, save everyone. <laughs> like, uh, you can pray that. I mean, you would never know if it's answered in, until you're in heaven. And, I mean, I guess you would know as long as you meet another believer or another unbeliever, you know it hasn't been answered yet. Pray specifically so that you could actually know whether God answered your prayer or not. Pray persistently. Be persistent. This is the whole definition of the word abide. It's, it's, a, it's the idea of not giving up. It's, it's you keep knocking on the door. It's, it's the idea of we're remaining here. We're, we're, we're not walking away. We're, we're, we're staying here. It's like Jacob wrestling with God. I'm not going to go until you bless me. I'm not giving up here. I want the blessing of God. I want to see your prayer, my prayers answered. And we just keep coming to the Lord in persistent prayer. Bold prayers, specific prayers, persistent prayers. Are your prayers bold? Are you persistent? <laughs> have you been guilty as I have often been of giving up on God too, too soon? You, you pray for something in the morning, you forget it in the evening, and then you never bring it up again, and you just go, well, I guess God, I guess God chose not to answer my prayer this time. One of my favorite examples of faithful, abiding, bold, specific prayer is George Mueller. George Mueller, 19th century pastor, started an orphanage. He, he, he committed to start this orphanage without asking anyone for money. He said, I'm not going to ask anyone for a single penny. I'm only going to ask God. I'm not going to fundraise. I'm not going to go door to door. I'm just going to ask God. And the reason, uh, the primary reason, he would say, that I want to start this orphanage is, is not even necessarily to care for the orphans. That is a secondary goal. The primary goal is I want people to see how trustworthy God is and how he answers prayers. That's what I want to do by starting this orphanage. And so his whole thing was, I'm just going to pray and see what God does. I went through this week and I pulled out that biography. I've read it twice. I'm going to read it again this year. And I began marking all the places where I noted a specific, bold prayer that he prayed for over and over and over again. Let me give you some examples. This man is an example and a model to pray. November 5th, journal entry, 1836. He writes, a brother, talking about a member of his church, a brother gave 100 pounds to pay our rent. In December of last year, this is 11 months prior to what he, when he's writing now, in December of last year, I had repeatedly asked the Lord to incline the heart of this brother to give 100 pounds. You ever done that? Pray for someone else to give their money? <laughs> That's what George is doing. No shame. Lord, Move in that man's heart to give a big sum of money to the church. Not so he can get the money, so that God could do a work among them. He says, the Lord inclined the heart of that man. He says, when I remembered that I had written this prayer down in my journal, I showed it to the donor, and we both rejoiced together. 
October 7th, a few years later, he writes, it's now five weeks since we met daily for prayer, talking about some of the people who worked in the orphanage with him. We ask for grace and wisdom for ourselves in the work, for the conversion of the children under our care, for grace for those children who have already accepted the Lord. They prayed remarkably consistently for the conversion of the children in their orphanage. And a little bit later, a few pages after that segment, he writes about a mini-revival taking place among six- to nine-year-old girls. It's an amazing part of the biography. These children coming on their own and starting Bible studies and prayer meetings as little children. And he encourages us, don't underestimate the power of prayer. He was praying specifically. He was praying boldly. Listen to this. March 8th, 1843. I prayed about the matter daily for 22 days without mentioning it to anyone else. Day after day passed. The money did not come. At last, on the 134th day, since I had daily sought the Lord about this matter, I received a letter from the sister, and he goes on to explain how the Lord finally answered his prayer. He knew the number of days that he was praying for something. A little bit later, January 31st, 1846, it's now 89 days since I began daily waiting upon God for the building of an orphan house. A couple pages later, 212 days have passed since I first began to pray about this work. A few pages after that, it is now 400 days since I have been waiting upon God to help build the orphan house. Later, toward the end, Work on the building has begun finally after I sought the help of the Lord for 607 days. He has given me the desire of my heart. He was praying bold, big prayers. He was very specific about how he was asking. And he was persistent. How many of us would know how long we've been praying for something? You say, well, what was his method? Listen to this. He he writes about his quote-unquote method. Listen to this. This is very instructive for us as we move into the new year. May 7th, 1841. The primary business I must attend to every day is to fellowship with the Lord. The first concern is not how much I might serve the Lord, but how my inner man might be nourished. I may share the truth with the unconverted. I might try to encourage believers. I might relieve the distressed. Or I may, in other ways, seek to behave as a child of God, yet not yet being happy in the Lord and not yet being nourished and strengthened in my inner man day by day may result in this work being done in a wrong spirit. I mean, if that's not John 15, 5, I don't know what it is. He's starting his every day by abiding in Christ, being made happy in the Lord, entrusting himself to God, nourishing his inner man, and then he goes about his day. And how does he do it? Why does he bear much fruit? It's because he's abiding in Christ. You might be sitting here going, well, I'm no George Mueller. He's particularly gifted, to which he says in his own autobiography, to the unbelieving reader or to the skeptical reader who might go, well, I could never do that. He goes, you may do the same, dear believing reader. Do not think that I am extraordinary or that I have privileges above God's other dear children. I encourage you to try it. Would you try it this year? To pray boldly because Jesus has invited you to ask for whatever you wish. Would you pray specifically because you have specific desires to glorify God? And would you pray persistently, abiding prayer, knocking on the door, asking, seeking, knocking until the Lord answers? Or if in His good providence He says no, you trust Him. You keep, keep, keep on. This is the secret, guys. The secret that's not actually a secret. Whoever abides in me, that's the person who bears much fruit. That's what the verse says. So I have two questions for you as you think to apply. We're going to do two questions in application, and I'm going to finish with three very practical recommendations to you. Here's our two questions. Question number one for you is, do you have a strategy to pray? Trying to pray faithfully without 
a plan is like trying to do a cross-country road trip without a plan. You run out of gas, you don't know where to go, you end up lost. How many of you are like me and that you have tried to pray faithfully and have sputtered out, have run out of things to ask the Lord for, and then you end up being discouraged? Often thinking ahead of how we will pray, when we will pray, where we will pray, what we will pray about is extraordinarily helpful for getting our prayers going. Do you have a strategy to pray? It might be good for you to think about what that might look like. Again, to talk to people who have been praying for a long time and you see as faithful and get their wisdom and advice. It might be that you... Take a day, get away and think about what does this look like for you in your own life? What if in 2020, you could say something like this, I've prayed for 76 days straight for an opportunity to share the gospel with my neighbor and the Lord answered my prayer last week. What if you could pray like that? What if you could pray, or you could say, by the end of 2020, every day I prayed for some members of our church, and I was committed to following up with them to see how they're doing. I prayed boldly for them. I prayed specifically for them, their needs, their specific needs, and I was persistent. I didn't give in. I didn't give up. Do you have a strategy? This is my second question. Not going to make sense at first when I read it, but it'll make sense as I explain it. Question number two Do you have a rock pile? <laughs> what? Joshua 4. God does a mighty miracle for his people. The nation of Israel crosses the Jordan River. God wants his people to remember his faithfulness, and he tells them to build a rock pile. Joshua 4, verses 6 and 7, he writes that this might be a sign among you when your children. Ask in time to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it passed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Some way to know that the Lord has heard you and has answered you. Do you have some sort of way to remember the good works of the Lord? Some people keep journals. Some people have set aside times in their life with their family to sit around the table and reflect on the good things God has done. Let me just encourage you this year to figure out a way to reflect on the good faithfulness of God to answer prayer. And I tell you, I promise you, that if you have some sort of way to remember what God has done, it will encourage you forward to continue praying. So let's finish with three recommendations. I'm going to ask you to do three things this year as our attempt to put into practice some of the things we're learning. We know that we can do nothing. We know that Jesus can do anything. We know that we've been invited to abide in Christ, let His Word abide in us, and then to ask for whatever we wish. I'm going to give three recommendations. I want you to talk to someone about these. And I want, we're going to talk about these again next week as another part of our application to next week's message. I want us to think together about how we might do these three things. First is a habit to develop. Second is a life to learn from. And the third is a relationship to initiate. Here's your habit. Devotion before distraction. Personally, I have found that if I spend the first 10 to 15 minutes of my day on my phone or on a screen or watching something, ESPN or Twitter or Instagram, if if that's how my day starts, it's not just the 15 minutes that are affected by that. That will set a tone for the rest of my day. And so one of the things I want to do in obedience to Jesus this year is in my own life to try to be sure to put devotion first before any distraction. For me, that means i got to move my phone off my end table and put it in a different room when I go to bed at night. So the first thing I wake up to, there's a Bible next to me, there's an open notebook, there's things that will help my mind be focused 
Your attention is more precious than gold. And everyone wants to steal it from you. And these tech people are experts at harvesting it. Fight against them. Put them away. Figure out a way to do devotion before distraction. Second, I want to recommend that you benefit from a biography this year. And I'm going to hold this one up and ask if you would be willing to read this along with me. George Mueller's autobiography. It's his journal entries. And I tell you, this is one of the, the books outside the Bible that's impacted my life more than any other book. This book is such an encouragement to all of us to pray boldly, specifically, and persistently. Now, I think it would be great if several of us picked this up and started reading it, and it became a topic of conversation as we hang out after church or on Sunday evenings or in our growth groups. We're all just kind of talking about some of the ways God has worked in this man's life, and we're encouraging others, or we're encouraging one another to do the same. Let's, let's ourselves pray such prayers of faith. Benefit from a biography. Hebrews 13.7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. I think one, of the, one way to apply that verse is to look at the people who've gone before us and learn from them. Read a good biography. Third, partner up to pray. Partner up to pray. When I was in Grace, see me, a friend of mine said, hey, I'm going to start praying before church every Sunday morning. You want to join me? And he started this meeting. It was about three or four of us. And for several years, every Sunday, we would gather. We would get into a private room and we would read a psalm and we would pray together. I think it would be an amazing gift if God would stir in several hearts to say, I Trust the Lord. I rely upon Him. And I'm going to express that in prayer, but I don't want to do it alone. I want to invite others to pray with me. I think it's sad that sometimes Christians can feel so awkward praying together. But what if we just did that normally? What if on Sunday mornings it was normal to see brothers and sisters praying together about a specific thing that we had brought up? What if it was regular for a friend to call you during the week and say, hey, can we maybe every Tuesday night we spend five minutes on the phone and pray for one another or pray for that specific person or pray for that specific opportunity? What if we did something like that? I remember reading a testimony of a, a guy was invited to a prayer meeting with two other guys. This guy was new to the church. He said, all right, I'll show up. Uh, where is it? And the guy said, oh, it's like McDonald's, 7 a.m., be there. So he, he writes this, he says, all right, I assumed that we would drink a cup of coffee, eat an egg McMuffin, and talk for a while, but I was wrong. When I spotted him in the parking lot, he motioned over me to come next to his car. He called his friend, his other prayer partner, and the three of us entered into a time of prayer. We never even made it inside the restaurant, praying, inside, or praying instead in the parking lot for almost an hour. After finishing his prayer, he concluded by saying, okay, brother, I'll see you next week. Same time, same place. I walked back to my truck saying to myself, what about the coffee and egg McMuffin? <laughs> I mean, let's not be awkward about praying together. Prayer is the work. Nothing gets done if we're not asking the Lord. Nothing gets done. We can't do anything. Jesus can do anything. So let's abide in Him and let's ask away. And so I'm going to encourage you to partner up to pray. Seek the Lord this year. Have specific, bold requests and tell someone else to be praying for you and with you and get with them on occasion, maybe on a Sunday, maybe after church, maybe before church, maybe in the middle of the week, maybe on the phone, maybe McDonald's in a parking lot. But get together and let's partner up to pray. Why? Because in our reliance upon God, God allows us to bear fruit. We can do nothing. Jesus can do anything. Let's abide in Him and ask away. And let's ask ourselves, what might God do in 2020 as we abide in Him? Let's pray. And so, Lord, we again joyfully announce that we are needy and dependent. And we say, Lord, that you are a 
Father to us that loves to give good gifts to your children. And so, Lord, as we reflect on these truths that that you're the vine, we're just branches, that you're the source of life and we need you for everything, that, that we can do nothing, you can do everything, we want to commit ourselves to you, to abide in you, to commune with you, to walk with you, to be reliant upon you, to devote ourselves to you, to let your words abide in us as we abide in you. And Lord, I pray that as we do that, we would pray in such a way that glorifies you and that you would answer our prayers in such a way that gives you glory and not us. And we ask that in this year and for many years to come, that we would be privileged to bear much fruit. Not that we might boast in ourselves, but that we might boast that you are a strong and generous God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.